The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John. There is a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered to him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. There's a beautiful interchange uh, in Niall Williams' new novel, a uh, novel called This is Happiness. Uh, he's an Irish writer between a man in his 60s who's trying to undo uh, some wrongs of his past with a certain woman uh, and a boy of 17 who's already failed at his attempt to be a Catholic, uh, trained as a Catholic priest. And the story is set in a small village in Ireland at the time when electricity first comes to the parish, so it's a long time ago. And it's the night uh, before Easter. It's Saturday night before Easter Sunday, and Christy is the older man who hatches a plan with no, the 17-year-old, to go to all the Easter masses uh, at the church the next day so that he can bump into his long-lost love and no can look at her reaction and uh, give him a, a kind of a cue. But, but no is, is, is right out of failed seminary, and he's wrestling with doubt and crisis about God, and he doesn't want to go. So he tells Christy, I'm not going. Christy says, it's Easter Sunday. Even thieves go Easter Sunday. <laughs> and Noah says, well, how will you know her, Miss Gaffney? I mean, after 50 years, how will you know her? And Christy says, I'll know her. And Noah says, well, I can't help. I'm not going to church. I don't believe in God. Christy says, shh. He patted down the thought with both hands like it was a small fire. He came closer and whispered, don't say that. He could lame or blind you just to prove himself. And no concludes, how do you answer that? I put down my book and extinguished the lamp. Christy got into his bed, crossed his hands on his chest. He said, for both of us, wonders are coming. 
wonders are coming for Noe and Christy. And they went to church the next day. There's another richly uh, layered interchange in uh, between two people in what I just read you from the Gospel of John, a Jewish letter named, leader named Nicodemus. He wants to meet up with Jesus, um, and for reasons guessed at but not explicit in the text, um, he comes to Jesus in the dark of night. Did you notice that? In the dark of night. Um, like no, he may have had doubts about God. He certainly had to have his doubts about uh, this itinerant preacher, Jesus. Yet there was something about Jesus that compelled Nicodemus to uh, slough off his uh, pharisaical respectability and set up a meeting with Jesus in the moonlight. And from the recorded conversation, however, it's likely that Nicodemus must have slunk home more doggone confused than when he came to Jesus. So let's see what happens. But first, that Jesus confused or um, astounded people, it shouldn't surprise us. Uh, You know, he's called the great moral teacher, but yet he says outrageous things, doesn't he? Like, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus saying this. Or he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not have life within you. Or mind-bogglingly so, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. Um, Now, we've heard these things before, but nobody I know, right off the bat, would know how to make any sense of what Jesus says. So today's version of this kind of apparent lunacy from Jesus' lips is, very truly, I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again, without being born again, or the translation I read to you, born from above. Nicodemus, like many of us maybe, would um, interpret this strange saying. Literally, how can one crawl back into one's mother's womb and be reborn? And Jesus meets, you know, this question with straight-up ridicule. He says, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? So what are we to make of the things that Nicodemus doesn't understand? Born again, um, it's a term that is now um, woven its way into at least the vernacular of at least the the evangelical uh, wing of Christianity. It's kind of coterminous with being saved or or meeting the Lord, or becoming a Christian, or having a conversion experience, depending you know, on your context, and all of which to um, most Episcopalians feels a slightly embarrassing <laughs> or distasteful. The born-agains, they're the ones over there. And it reminds me of uh, a great joke about Episcopalians making fun of us. What's the best thing about being an Episcopalian? Answer, being an Episcopalian never never interferes with your politics or your religion. (laughs) (laughs) Episcopalians, however, like Nicodemus, we are not exempt from the truth of Jesus' words, as outrageous as they may be. So he says, like, if you're to enter the kingdom of God, you, too, must be born again. What does that mean? So um, I'll take a stab. There's, there's a great saying in the recovery community, the AA community, that says something uh, like this. Uh, when people come to meetings, just broken, um, 
they say, this is where your best efforts have gotten you. In other words, those who have tried to break free from addiction with, with their strongest willpower have only failed and found themselves in the wreckage of their own lives, wrecking others' lives. You know, in other words, your best efforts have left you here. Now, you don't have to be an addict to, to have a corollary in your life. You have some um, machination in your life, uh, relationally or some problem, in which you have expended your best efforts, and yet you are so far away from a solution despite your best efforts. Theologically speaking, that was a brilliant children's sermon from Amy, the law, the Ten Commandments, are the best effort of the world. Like, you cannot get better than the Ten Commandments. If we follow the Ten Commandments, the world would hum along in beautiful ways. But we do not follow them. In fact, in our epistle reading, we, we saw that the law provokes the trespass. To hear the law is to, uh, is to engender inside us a response of, um, of reaction to break it. Uh, like I was, uh, I was just in Baton Rouge uh, this, this past week visiting my friend Drew. We grew up best friends, and uh, he's the Episcopal chaplain to, to LSU. And uh, I'll tell you the story with his permission. Opposite the LSU football stadium, uh, the reigning national champs, which they tell you every five seconds down there. I said, well, we are too. Nobody cares. Um, But there there have been what is designated as Indian mounds. This is before Native American came into vogue. And uh, these Indian mounds, they're hills, they're spots uh, that have been identified as sacred to Native Americans, and students would climb up the mounds and then just careen down them in various stages of sobriety on game day. Um, finally, the administration had the good sense to restrict access to the Indian mounds, put fences around there, and signs were put up that said, no trespassing on Indian mounds. I looked right at it. And um, one uh, morning in the Sunday paper, following a Saturday home game, Drew looked at the front page of the LSU, of the, sorry, the Baton Rouge Advocate, the, the paper there, front page of it, and he saw a boy sledding down the Indian mound using the no trespassing sign as his toboggan. <laughs> Gets better. As Drew looked more closely at the picture, he realized the careening trespasser was his own 10-year-old son. <laughs> That's David! <laughs> See, there's a commonly held belief, and we still think it, uh, that if we are taught, only taught, to do the right thing, then we would shape up, and the world would be ship Now, you don't have to be a cynic to look around or look inside yourself and realize we are not shipshape, and the world is not shipshape, despite our or the world's best efforts. So maybe, who knows, but maybe that's what drove Nicodemus to Jesus um, under the cover of darkness. He knew the law for sure. Remember, he was a teacher of Israel. But perhaps he had come to the place in his life where he knew his best efforts were not enough. So 
he hears this question about being born again, and he asks fairly, how can this be? What do I do? Well, Jesus answers Nicodemus with one of the most beloved and most well-known verses in all the Bible. And even Episcopalians use it. It's uh, one of our uh, comfortable words in the right one communion service after the absolution and confession of sin. The clergyman says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all who believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to you and to me, is that the kingdom of God is not seen or entered into by the law, by our best efforts. The kingdom of God is entered into simply by belief. Simply and only and finally by belief in Jesus. That's it. That's all. There isn't any more. I just mentioned that I've been in Baton Rouge. I'll try to give you an analogy that falls short like every analogy does, but it could be helpful. I stole it for Drew, from Drew, so blame him if you don't like it. Um, so if you ask me if I flew to Baton Rouge last Monday, I would say, yes, I flew to Baton Rouge. But technically... I did not. That's not true. I did not fly to Baton Rouge. I did not, with my best efforts, fly to Baton Rouge. I could try. I could flap my arms as hard as I could flap them. I could get out on the Charlottesville Airport runway, and I could just sprint my fastest down the runway. I could beat my arms while I'm sprinting down the runway. I could leap from the ground with all I'm worth, for all I'm worth, and for all that effort, I would still be in the Charlottesville airport, out of breath, a yard or two from where I took off, and probably <laughs> escorted away by the authorities to get some mental help. Uh, but that's what would happen if I tried to fly to Baton Rouge. I did not fly to Baton Rouge. The airplane on which I sat, while doing absolutely nothing, flew to Baton Rouge. That's who flew to Baton Rouge. Okay, so in terms of the kingdom of God, flapping your arms with your best efforts gets you nowhere, gets everybody nowhere. doesn't matter if you're a scoundrel or you're a saint. You're still going to jump about two yards at the most. Gets you nowhere. Jesus himself is the plane who flies you there. All you do is sit back and you do nothing believing that he will do it. And in fact, through his cross and resurrection, as Jesus himself says, the Son of Man is lifted up for the world to look at on the cross. He has done it all. In him, through his cross and resurrection, wonders have come, and they're still coming for you and for me. Now, he proves this not by laming or blinding you, but by laming and blinding himself on the cross for our sake. That's the gospel. That's the gospel which elicits belief in Jesus. And how can it be? How can it be that God would do this? How can it be that God would do this to himself for the sake of you and me? How can it be? For God so loved the world 
That's how it could be. That he gave his son that all who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Amen.